1: Favre's the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again!
0: No! Oh! Quick father tries it, don't know, long we over... Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Oh! Oh! It! It's Lucius McCulloch, saved it in!
2: Barry Ferguson does this again!
0: We basked in qualification last week, but now Scotland have sadly reverted to a wee bit of their old ways, where we just needed one win against Slovakia and Israel, and we couldn't get that over the line. So we remain in Nations League B, which, you know, is not the end of the world, but it's a big disappointment for the longer term. So we gave credit where it was due, where it was massively due last week after the win in Serbia. But now Gordon Schiak and Ben Ramage, I think it's fair to say that the team need to face probably a little bit of criticism for the way that they handled those two games, Ben.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, like we talked about we talked about it before, the big game was Serbia and absolutely fair play to them for coming through that because that was a nerve jangler, wherever there was one. Um, but we've spoken about how important the Nations League was as well. That's the whole reason we we had that chance in the first place. And it doesn't. It really does feel like we let an opportunity to get ahead of the game for the World Cup slip through our fingers. Um, so it's, it was it was tough. It was tough because I do think we actually played pretty well in both games, and we had plenty of chances in both games. We could have gone ahead in both, but when it came to it, we just couldn't find a way back after going ahead today went
0: ahead sorry Gordon how much emphasis do you place on a, a, the disappointing aspect of not being able to, to get up to the top tier of the Nations League
2: um, well as someone
1: who, who spent the last several months endlessly bang, banging the drum on my website and on Twitter about the importance of the Nations League and how big it could be to get promoted yeah I'm, I'm naturally very disappointed that we didn't take those opportunities as, as Ben spoke about there but you know The sort of philosophy that I do generally try to live my life by is that, you know, respect the process, not the outcome. Because sometimes you can do the right things in the right way, you can have the right plan, and you don't get the right outcome. And on the flip side, sometimes you can get the right outcome, but you didn't get there the right way. You know, I would look at the games we played last month at home after the Israel semi-final, when we beat Slovakia, we beat the Czech Republic 1-0 at home, Looking back at those games, we probably only created one or two decent chances in each game. We were able to take one of them in each game. That efficiency of conversion was always going to be unsustainable. Conversely, as Ben alluded to, these last two games, Slovakia and Israel, we created more than enough chances to win them, and we didn't. So does that then mean that the games last month were good results because we won, and these ones are bad results? It's always a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. and. Um, I think something is coming they're working on it you know that well, last night was what the eighth game in a row we've played with this system they're getting better at it but I think there's a real need for a plan B now that when we go behind I think we're struggling to make changes to the flow of a game change the shape look you have to get the foundations right before you can build a house Steve Clark had to sort out the defence he had to make us hard to beat I feel it like to an extent he's done that but you're right in terms of creating chances scoring goals and changing the plan if we go behind, I think those are what's in Steve Clarke's entry right now.
0: So, Ben, is the importance of not just Lyndon Dykes, but an on-form and uh, impactful Lyndon Dykes, okay. c- can the importance of that be understated at all? Because we saw last night against Israel, Dykes was playing, but he wasn't his usual self as he was, in the previous games for Scotland, and and we did look like we lacked a bit of a threat up front with with him not being uh, firing on all cylinders.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the issue with 4-5-1 or 5-4-1. If you only play with one striker up front, you're so reliant on him having a good game, more so when you've got two up front, then at least they can bounce off each other. Um, One can play better than the other, whereas if it's just one up front on your own, you're so isolated. If If the ball's not sticking to you, then the whole system struggles and I don't know how much tired legs came into it because that was the third away game on the bounce and the first one did go to extra time. So I do wonder how much the legs were really just gone. Um especially against Israel. Um but we certainly need to find a replacement for Dykes that's more effective than McBurney. I'm sure we'll touch on McBurney. Um but he just to me he isn't as effective as Dykes. Uh, He doesn't look like he has the confidence to lead the line in international football at the moment. He may well get that back. Uh, As long as he gets it back before the Euros, then I'm happy for him to be in the squad. But this is international football and you can't just have someone in and and hope that they find the confidence to play whilst they're with you. I just don't think that that's sustainable going forward.
0: Gordon, we we did control the vast majority of the game against Slovakia and Serbia, Mm -hmm. to be fair. We controlled certainly the first half against Israel last night, but in the Slovakia game and the Israel game, we were left with nothing to show for all our possession. Now, for me, that comes down to decision making and our conviction in the final third. You look at the goal Solomon scored last night. For me, the minute he picked that ball up in the left channel, I knew that he was going to bury that. He looked like he knew what he was doing, he was direct and there was only one place that ball was ending up in the back of the net. Now, Last night there were a few occasions where Scotland uh, managed to get into the final third but we just looked like we didn't know what to do one, once we got there. There was a moment where the ball was fed into John McGinn and he, he took a sloppy touch and ended up having to dig the ball out from under his feet in the first half when the ball fell to Donald at the back post as it was making its way over there. I never felt like he was going to get that shot on target. Um, when Christie, as well, was through one on one, and he tried to uh, with a defender, and he tried to pass it back into the path of uh, the support act. You know, th- those are moments that we just can't afford if we're going to go on and beat teams uh, and go places at international, at a decent international level. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You know, I, I referenced earlier. You know, the home games against um, Slovakia and Czech
1: Republic last month those were kind of perfect international performances in a way because we created very little, but we had the efficiency to convert those chances into goals. I think the issue on Sunday against Slovakia, it was about finishing chances because we created plenty. We created plenty of openings that maybe a fit, confident striker would have scored. Last night, the issue was more about chance creation. And I think you're absolutely right that Some of the decision-making, and I don't know if that was, if it's down to what Ben was alluding to, about three away games in a week. This has been a very tiring, very emotional week for these players. But last night was just a really strangely kind of passive performance, I thought. Very little kind of self-confidence in that team. Very little kind of just, just drive just to grab the game by the scruff of the neck. You know, the amount of times players would get in shooting positions and try and pass and try and find the perfect opening rather than just try and get a shot on goal and test the goalkeeper. So... Yeah, It was a really frustrating watch. Both games were a frustrating watch,
2: to be honest. The one ben. that summed it up for me was John McGinn because McGinn has just been so brilliant for us virtually every game he's played. But to me, it looked like his legs had gone. You know, everyone speaks about what a great engine he has, but I could just, you could just see him slowing down as that second half wore on. And I just, I don't think we had the energy left to turn that game. Um, you spoke about it as well. You know, Christie had a brilliant chance on the edge of the box. I can't still can't understand why he didn't shoot. Griffiths had a chance in 10, within ten yards that you thought, right, this is it. I know it was probably too late anyway, but he would at least have got a goal. It would have been great for his confidence. So I'm not sure if it was just a case of the lads had just spent everything they had on that Serbia game, um in terms of beating two, you know, very decent uh, countries away from home. It was maybe just a bit too much for them.
1: Yeah. I think I I, I, I... I, d- I did certainly worry when, it when obviously, the, the calendar got rejigged due to COVID and they decided to have these triple headers, and we'll still be facing these next year, that the, the first World Cup qualifiers in March is going to be a triple header, and then the first world set of World Cup qualifiers after the Euros in September, that will also be a triple header. And right now, I, I do worry about the sort of depth and resolve of mental and physical strength in our squad to handle these these triple headers, especially if they involve some, some decent amounts of travel in them.
0: Well, look at the depth we've got going forward then. okay, So we can all agree, I'm sure that the majority of the fans would agree that Lyndon Dykes is first-choice striker. He's had such a great impact on the team and the squad, and I think that there, there can't be many that would deny him the number nine shirt at the moment. Okay, So after him, we've got Griffiths, Ollie McBurney, Lawrence Shankland, and probably to a lesser extent, Olly Burke. If you then go a bit deeper, you've got young Nisbet at Hibbs, who, if he keeps going, could probably find himself in the conversation. And then after him, I'm struggling, guys. I think that we're probably looking at trying to call up someone who hasn't been involved before uh, and is from an English background, like Carlin Grant or, or Shea Adams. I know you've mentioned both of them, Gordon. Do you think that that's a route that we're going to have to go down to try and find a plan B or more depth up front?
1: I, I've I've always been an advocate for calling up players regardless of where they're born. I mean, the rules are there for a reason. Play, if players are eligible, you have to ask the question, you know, and what better time to ask the question than when you've got a Euro 2020 finals on the horizon and to use as effectively a carrot. I mean, I know in Football Manager, which obviously is uh, is real life, <laughs> as we know, that's how they worked for me. When I was Scotland Manager and I was going to the Euros, I, I called them all up. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, why not? But, uh, do... Do people in Germany, I think I think in Scotland people can get quite precious about where players are born and I find it incredibly tiresome. I mean, do Germany care one job when they win the World Cup, when they've got Miroslav Klosa born in Poland, or Lukas Podolski born in Poland? Of course they don't, don't be
0: stupid. So, why not? Why not? Ask the question. Ben, are these guys... You know, certainly good enough to jump the queue at international level if they were to become involved. You've got Shea Adams, who started the season pretty well at Southampton, I think. And Colin Grant, uh, forgive my ignorance, Gordon, maybe you can fill in here. The last I heard, he was at Huddersfield this evening. Yeah, uh, Huddersfield, uh, yes.
1: Oh, no, I think, no, I think he's at um, West Brom.
0: Right? West Brom, OK. So I suppose there you go then. You've got two English Premier League strikers, but we know that doesn't guarantee goals or performances in a Scotland shot as we've seen with Oli Burke or Oli um because we know that he should have certainly grabbed his first international goal, or plural, against Slovakia. So do you think that because of where these guys are playing, Ben, they're worth having a chat with, or does that really not come into consideration as far as you're concerned?
2: I honestly don't think Clark will care. I don't think he'll give a toss where they're born, to be honest. I think if they're good enough and they can fix this problem, then absolutely have a look and as we've said, you know we've got World Cup qualifiers if they can come and prove their worth during them, then happy days to get them in um, uh, strikers have always been an issue for us as long as I've followed the the, the, the team we've never had a, a a massive amount of strikers that we can call on goal scorers Dykes Dykes has been a blessing um, we've been he's really come along just at the right time to get us through to this first major tournament. Um, but we we clearly need to still be doing some more work, um, picking up some new some new options up front. If we move
0: on to the midfield, Ryan Jack and Callum McGregor are certainly Clark's boys in that position, slightly deeper. And to be fair, they both really stepped up against Serbia. We we complimented them on that last week. A bit more passive against Slovakia. Eh, sorry, against eh, Israel. Um, But I think that they are certainly the two that are cemented in that position. Slightly further ahead, you've got John McGinn. And then there's probably one space up for grabs. So Ryan Christie, Stuart Armstrong or Ryan Fraser. Would you rather give it to one of them, Gordon, or a second striker such as Griffiths or McBurney to play alongside Lyndon Dykes?
1: Well, it's funny because I think in the games against um, Israel and Slovakia this week, you know, I spoke earlier about the need for a plan B that I almost found ironically that when we started to change the shape a little bit and we started to bring on more attacking players, so for example having Griffiths and McBurney on at the same time, despite having more attackers on the pitch, I felt like we were less threatening as a team and as a unit. I think some of the best attacking that we've done in recent times has been when you've had someone like Ryan Pussy or Ryan Fraser playing just off your central striker because they have the freedom and creativity to go wherever they want to create chances or sometimes finish chances themselves. So I I, I would still stick with the plan that we've had, you know, be it an, an attacking
0: midfielder sort of just playing off, off a central striker rather than two typically central strikers. Let's talk about the wing backs. Now, Andy Robertson was made captain a couple of years ago. As far as I'm concerned, that was a bit of a PR move from the, the SFA because... The fans weren't on side with the team and the management at that stage and Andy Robertson was the nation's sweetheart and uh, going really, really well at Liverpool. He could really do no wrong. Everybody loves Andy Robertson. So, made him captain. And for a wee while at the start, I don't think I'm alone in saying it It seemed to impact his performances for Scotland. I'm not of that thinking anymore, OK? I think that he's, he's grown into the role somewhat. But, on the pitch, Ben... Is there a serious argument that Keenan Tierney sh- should be playing at left wing-back over him?
2: I think 100%. I, I think if you look at the, the performances of both over the last few games, I just think Tierney has so much more drive and he just has that bit more confidence to take people on, which at left wing-back is exactly what you need. Um, I think, as you say, Robbo has got a lot better um, he's grown into the responsibility, I think. He must be a good leader behind the scenes because he wouldn't have got the armband otherwise, I don't think. Um, but to me, Tierney looks stifled in that left centre-back role. I know it gets them both into the team, but I honestly think Tierney is a better left wing-back than Robertson is, in, especially in this system. Um, it's really up to up to Clark. But like we have said, it would be so harsh to take the armband off Robertson now, especially having led us to the Euros. It would be very harsh to drop Robertson. So at the moment, it does still seem that the best plan is to have Tierney Tuck just inside. Um, but I really think that you're not actually getting the best out of KT playing at that left centre-back role.
0: Gordon, is this a conversation more deserving of a fantasy land than any sort of realism?
1: What, in terms of removing Andy Robertson from the side?
0: If Kieran Tierney was to become the first-choice left-wing back and then Cooper or someone else moves into the back three?
1: Well, you know, I think so long as Kieran Tierney is playing left side the centre-back in a back three for his club team, I don't think I, you can advocate for Kieran Tierney doing anything different for his national team. I think that... I just can't get behind that. I think Tierney and Robertson, I think they're getting better playing together with Robertson's left-wing back and Kieran Tierney's left centre-back. I think it's almost emulating what you see, what you saw Sheffield, Sheffield United do so well last season with their kind of revolutionary overlapping centre back system. You know, I think Tierney obviously he has he has to pick and choose a little bit more the moments that he gets forward, but to have the option of having him drive forward with the ball and getting crosses in, as he has done in the last few games, I think that's a great threat for us. You saw the same on the right hand side with Scott and You know, I think I think last night you saw. The best and the worst of having Scott McTominay in that position, because he was able to step up quite high. Some of the crosses he was able to put in from that sort of deep right channel were just unbelievably good. You know, Job again should have scored that header from McTominay's cross. But then you are right when Solomon comes through, he gets exposed one on one. There is only ever going to be one winner, and that's unfortunately the big weakness of McTominay in that role. But you no, know, I, 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 I support Tierney and Robbo together, um, and I, I think I think the way they're playing together, it's getting there. I feel like it's getting there for me. And, and I would just say, when you said about Andy Robertson being a Scotland sweetheart, he was always called, in this household, Scotland's boyfriend. So feel free to take part that. <laughs> if,
0: if I put to you this, Gordon, Kieran Tierney's attacking threat against Slovakia was superb. He was called man of the match by pretty much every media outlet that I mm-hmm. listened to. He was excellent. When, yeah. when was the last time that you saw Andy Robertson? And put me in my place, if you can remember one. When was the last time you saw Andy Robertson impact a game in that manner for Scotland?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. Um, but then also I think that Andy Robertson is probably held to an unfeasibly high standard for Scotland because people see what he does at Liverpool where he is effectively he's one element of a machine that is fitted like a Swiss watch where every part is perfectly formulated to work together. So to expect him to be as to, play to that high standard for Scotland, it is unrealistic to an extent. Um I'm
0: I'm not I'm not saying that Andy, we should see the same Andy Robertson because you're right, Liverpool are a completely different element. They are a machine, as you point out. But if Keaton Tierney can play to that extent, and, and that well for Scotland stepping up to the left wing back role, why why should we not expect Andy Robertson to have a similar impact on the game? Because I, I think as Ben pointed out, his attack Andy Robertson's attacking threat is, is miles off what Keaton Tierney showed against Slovakia.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I think especially last night as well against Israel, I thought, I mean, I, I heard someone saying today that, that Andy Robertson, if you look at the average position, positions on the pitch, Robertson's position was probably one of the deepest we had, which can't be right. That can't be what you're looking for out of your life wing back. Um, look, the, the Andy robertson tyranny debate is going nowhere and <laughs> it's here to stay. Um, Clark's managed to find a system that gets both of them in the team, whether it gets the best out of them is a debate to be had
0: but I feel
1: like we're going to have this, this
0: conversation many times in the next nine months <laughs> Well Ben Gordon says the debate's going nowhere, I would imagine that it's the same for Andy Robertson, he's, he's he's not going to be stripped of the captaincy or dropped and I'm not advocating for Andy Robertson to be stripped of the captaincy and thrown completely from the Scotland starting 11, I'm just putting the point across that at left wing-back Keane Tierney has shown better performances than he has. But anyway, I don't think that Andy Robertson will be taken out of this Scotland team at all then.
2: No, I I don't expect him to. And I'm not even sure if I would. The only point I'm making is that for me, Tierney is a better threat and a better attacking option at left wing-back. So if we're playing that system, then to me, Tierney is more effective in that role. If you gave him the the armband and gave him everything that Robbo has to deal with, with the expectation level, then maybe that would be different. Maybe you would see a different performance. But to me, Robbo when he is up when he's faced up against the opposition fullback for Scotland, he never tries to go past him. He never tries to go through him. He almost always passes back the way. And to me, that's that's fine if you're looking to be tight at the back and defensive, but if you're going away and you're trying to win a game to me, Tierney is the better option at left wing back.
0: What about the other side of the park? Then O'Donnell certainly looked to have made the jersey his own against Serbia. He played really, really well in the in the playoff final. Palmer came in and did a, an equally impressive job against Slovakia. He probably should have scored. That'll maybe p- be playing on his mind that he didn't get his first international goal. Um, O'Donnell then came back in last night against Israel. Steve Clark, Gordon, um, suffering from a headache in, in that regard, who to pick at right wing-back, or is Stephen O'Donnell firmly number one choice?
1: Yeah, I think when you look at the sort of our strongest personal weapon right now, I think right wing-back is certainly the position that you sort of just put a big question mark over, because as much as I think Stephen O'Donnell has grown into the role, I think obviously it's, it's understood that at his age, he's not going to hold that position for the next five or six years. So we do need to be thinking about who else is out there. I, I've i always been a big fan of Liam Palmer. I think when he comes in for Scotland I've always thought he's done a good job. I think he does a good job when he's defending but he does a good job going forward as well. I thought some of his crossing against uh, Slovakia was particularly impressive whereas quite often last night against Israel you saw uh, O'Donnell turn back and look for McTolney to put the crosses in. And um, To be fair, both both of them should have scored. I mean, O'Donnell probably should have scored, but at least tested the keeper last night. And Palmer certainly would have been cursing his luck um, with that chance on Sunday as well. So it is a really difficult decision. Um, I think a lot of it is going to be based on how each player is playing for their clubs, who gets the nod in March. So bear in mind O'Donnell's out of contract on the 31st of December. So it'll be interesting to see whether he's still at Motherwell going into the second half of the season.
0: Ben, is it the toss of a coin for you, or does one stand out?
2: For me, I think O'Donnell is still slightly ahead. And um, the thing that really impressed me against Israel was the amount of balls that he won, and the amount of headers. I think he's an outlet. When you're when we've been pressed back up, then Marshall always looks to O'Donnell on the right-hand side to win us a header, to get us going back forward again. And I'm not sure that Palmer gives that same sort of physical presence. I totally agree with Gordon. Both should have actually scored their first goal for Scotland. I'm sorry, pardon me if uh, O'Donnell's already scored one, but... They both should have scored over this break, and that could have totally made the difference. Um, you know, We could have been talking about two wins. So I just feel like neither of them really stamped their authority on that position when they actually both had a really good chance to do so. But I would say that given the amount of caps he's got, I would say that O'Donnell's probably just ahead in the stakes.
0: Speaking of scoring, first goals for Scotland, I think we need to at least touch on Ollie McBurnie. Now, whether you're in his corner or in the opposing one, um, it makes for interesting conversation, but also it's starting to get, in my opinion anyway, slightly tiresome, the, the absolute pile on, on Ollie McBurney at the moment, because uh, Daryl Broadfoot was on Sports Sound the other night, hitting out with some stats and some analysis of McBurney's performance against Slovakia, and if he had taken one of his chances, then it's pretty much... Um, the ideal striker's performance. I think that he rated in the top three or four in most aspects of the game in terms of passes completed, headers won, etc., etc. He's just missing that goal, and I don't think, that no matter how well he performs, he's not going to go up in the estimations until he gets that goal. Gordon,
1: uh, I feel so sorry for Oliver McBurnie. I mean, for me, it's a it's a chicken and egg thing, you know the chances that he had on Sunday in Slovakia, you know, a confident striker finishes them, but then you need goals to gain confidence. So it's just, it's difficult to know where to start. I think you're absolutely right. I think he put in a very good performance. I think he worked very, very hard. He ran his heart out. He tried to press down everything. what, What worries me is that his, his first international goal is becoming something of a distraction and not just for the fans. I felt like, there were moments on Sunday where you could almost see that Scotland players were trying to force the ball to him to get him his chance and get him his goal. And sometimes that wasn't the best choice. Sometimes that wasn't the best decision. I mean, there was a, there was a great crossfield ball from Pierre Tierney at one point that drops to Lee Griffiths in the box. All you want him to do is touch it onto his left foot and take a snapshot. And what he does is he tries to cushion a pass square to McBurney, And you're thinking, are you doing that because you're just desperate for him to get a goal? And look, I think... It's great that they're supporting their teammate, but at what point does it start to become a distraction? Um, but look, I, I'm I'm very close to muting the word McBurney on my social media profile because <sighs> the abuse he gets is disgusting and incredibly tiresome, and just you, you hate to see it.
0: Ben, are you happy with him continuing uh, in the Scotland setup?
2: Well, I th- I think he's definitely good enough to be a squad player um he said he hasn't done enough to prove that he should be starting uh, for Scotland and like we've said he is lacking confidence you know that can happen to any player it happens especially to strikers but this isn't the this isn't the forum to to come and get your confidence back up in international football you need to be coming into these games absolutely flying and to me unless he gets back to that stage before the euros can we really afford to take him to the Euros if you're not confident that he can score a goal? Because I'm sorry, but that is what the strikers are in there to do. Um, I have absolutely nothing against him, I'm, and I'm sure he's 100% committed. You can tell that in his performances. But he really needs to, as we spoke, you know, he really needs to get a goal um, because the town Army and the media will just be on him until he does.
0: Yeah, the the, the issue for me... Is that against Serbia and Israel? When he came off the bench, it I didn't feel uh, like he was going to change the game in Scotland's favour. When when he started against Slovakia, he looked like he was up for it from the first whistle. From the get go, he he was he was buzzing around the park, winning headers, laying off teammates. He was doing well. When he came off the bench against Serbia and last night against Israel, I don't think he had any impact whatsoever, Gordon.
1: Yeah, but also I, I think I think you could tell, especially on Sunday in, in Slovakia, that, that that even though Scotland were playing with the same tactical system, I thought the angle of approach and the angle of attack had changed because it was McBurney up front rather than Dykes. Because against Serbia last week, you saw a lot of high balls played up to Linden Dykes because you knew he was going to win every single one of them. Whereas you saw a lot of the attacking... Threat against Slovakia come from the wide positions, whether it was Kieran Tierney beating his fullback or whether it was getting the ball wide to Liam Palmer and Quipen crosses in. So they did, they did change the approach for him. You know, it wasn't just that Dykes was unable, McBurney was unable to do what Dykes did. Um, but yeah, uh, to be honest, though, like I think it was quite clear quite early in the second half last night against Israel that we
0: could have played all week and we probably would not have scored. So
1: there it, it, it was a wider problem last night. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, one of those games. Now, I want to ask you just how much progress you think we've made. Okay, so going back to last year, just before we we, we beat San Marino, Cyprus, and Kazakhstan to kickstart this mini unbeaten run that we had three games. Uh, coming into this international break, we knew that it was all about the playoffs. Okay, the Nations League was uh, the sideshow, but an important one. Okay, now. We managed to go unbeaten until the Slovakia game away from home on Sunday there. But we we've we managed to do that scoring only four goals in the eight games across this international break from open play. Sorry, I should add four goals from open play. Those were Dykes against the Czech Republic away and Slovakia at home, Christy in Serbia and Ryan Fraser against the Czech Republic at home. So as we acknowledged at the start of the podcast, we have become a more cohesive and organised defensive unit. Going forward, are we are we much better off than we were, aside from the introduction of Lyndon Dykes?
2: I would say 100%. I would say if you look at us a year or two ago, well, sorry, before Clark started, we were such a soft touch. I mean, getting hit for three by Kazakhstan, um, You know, it was just, it was a shambles, really. We were almost at our lowest ebb. And Clark coming in, what's happened has been entirely predictable. He's made us solid. He's made us hard to beat. And we win the odd game by the odd goal. And the way it's fallen, it's worked to get us to the Euros. Whether it keeps working going forward, we can only hope. And you hope that the more these players play the system and the better players that we get, you know, the more goals we can score. Goals have obviously still an issue as they always seem to have been for us but at least now we have a solid platform we have a decent defense and I have confidence in us going away from home and almost playing anyone and knowing that we aren't we're not just going to be rolled over.
0: I, I absolutely acknowledge that Ben it's impossible to deny that we're a better team than we were here I just said that we're we're a more organized and cohesive unit defensively and we I believe now that we can frustrate some of the, the better teams in, in, in world football if we remain as organised uh, and strong as we are in defence. What I am asking is if if more potent attacking threat than we than we were perhaps this time last year or in the Nations League, for example, um the, the last the last comfortable victory I can remember us dishing out was against Albania away from home, Gordon.
1: Yeah, or or the there was obviously the 6-0, well, the, I guess, play him, so San Marino. San, San Marino, yeah, <laughs> about how much you count that, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with, with what, what both of you are saying, to be honest. I mean, Steve Luck came in, you know, he found a squad, he found a group of players that were absolutely on the floor. They had no confidence. And I think what really, really worried me this time last year was that you just didn't even think that Scotland would turn up and compete in games, and that's the absolute bare minimum that we have to demand out of out of Scotland squads is that you actually compete. You know, we'd concede a goal and they'd fall to bits. I mean, we conceded one goal away in Russia. Twenty-seven minutes later, it's four 0 I mean, that was that's genuinely frightening to look back on. So where we are now, we are in a better place. You know, we, we have a very we've had a long, a long way to travel. We've come a long way. But we're not naive enough to realise that just because we've qualified for the Euros that we've achieved it, that we've finished, that this process under Steve Clark is finished. You know, we've still got a long way to go. And Steve Clark's under no illusions that, that these last two games were good enough and he's absolutely said as much publicly. You know, um, I think I think we can continue to grow and at least we've got the positivity of Euro twenty twenty on the horizon. So even though we know that we've got issues to resolve, and I think you're right, creating chances, putting chances away, being able to win games more comfortably than just scoring one goal, and holding out and defending. You know, These are all things that we can work on, but we can work on them in a, in a position of positivity because we've got something good to work out, you know, to work work towards.
0: Yes, uh, absolutely. It, it was important that we started the improvement and the journey in defence, as you pointed out. You can't build a house without foundations, and we have found a, a solid structure at the back, and it seems to be working fairly well for us. We're not conceding many goals, really, at all, which, which is good. Um, but going forward, you know, if, if if we want to beat the big teams or, you know, cause the odd shock and continue to make progress, as Steve Clark said last night in his post-match interview, if we want to make progress, we need to be more clinical. And I think that was clear to see for anyone watching the last couple of games there. Um, against Serbia, for example, we, we dominated Serbia away from home. A team that went to Russia, or sorry, that played Russia Last night and won five nil. We outplayed them in their own backyard in the Nations League playoff. Uh, the sorry, European Championship playoff final. So I think that and, and we almost threw it away in the ninetieth minute and uh, with the set piece. But we we should have been out of sight in that game. We were comfortably the better team. We created more chances, and yet it almost wasn't enough for us. And last uh, Sunday against Slovakia, we we were the better team. Comfortably controlled possession, created more chances. McBurney and a few others uh, couldn't stick them away. And then last night, it was just the decision-making in the final third. And I'm not trying to uh, look for things to be negative about. I, th- I just think that this is in front of our very eyes, that it's clear to see that we've got a problem uh, putting the ball in the back of the net and doing it with a bit of conviction.
2: Yeah, I would agree. I think when you look ahead, you have to, to realise where we are. To be honest, I think we should just be really, really pleased that we've taken that first step of getting back to a major tournament. You can't expect to run before you can walk. We've got that monkey off the back, which would have been such a massive mental block for so many players over so many years. You know, if you look at the players that we're producing, we are never going to be at the top table, you know, of, of European and world countries. If we can get to a point where we are hard to beat and where we generally qualify for tournaments that to me is the next qualifying for multiple tournaments proving that this wasn't just a one-off that it wasn't just a fluke and I don't think it was a fluke if you look at how we played over the last three games we have dominated teams of a similar size to us so if we can just add that final touch and that final bit of confidence up front there's no reason why we can't go on to be a team that qualifies virtually for every tournament as we used to
1: yeah, hundred percent. I you know, I think I think we've said before perhaps last year that you know this team for many years had something almost of like a a failure, a failing mentality that and and you can't really you can forgive the players for that because I mean they there'd been no success for so long that they were just so conditioned to the fact that you turn up, you play for Scotland, it doesn't go well, you fail, you concede a late goal, you go home, you mope, you have a post mortem. That's just what we did. So Changing a culture, changing a mindset like that, it takes time, you know? And I think we are making positive steps in that. We've, we've left the emotional baggage of 22 years of failure behind us. You know, I looked up today, right, the stats of when um, when Michael O'Neill took over as Northern Ireland manager, his first 18 games in charge had one win. Seven draws, 10 losses. And then after that, they go on, they qualify for Euro 2016, they got a playoff for World Cup 2018, they got a playoff for Euro 2020. So admittedly, they only qualified for one tournament in that period. But that's two other playoffs that are within two games of qualifying for two more, three in a row. So that's the kind of success and confidence and culture of success that I think we're aiming towards now.
0: And hopefully Steve Clark can can get us there. Absolutely. There's no doubt that Steve is is the man to take Scotland forward. He's shown that in a relatively short space of time, because bear in mind that although he's been in charge for about 18 months now, he had... Uh, 10 months away from the players, no coaching whatsoever, no impact in the training ground. So I think that being able to come back to the international setup and quickly get the team to find their way uh, organisationally and defensively in, in this new formation that he's trying <laughs> and moving players around, uh, Scott McTominay at centre-back, uh, for example, and introducing Declan Gallagher, it's uh, it, it leaves no, no doubt in my mind. And... Probably hundred percent of the Tartan Army that he is the man that can take Scotland to potentially the next level. But my point just was that we we need to figure out how to take advantage of the possession that we're having in games by putting the ball in the back of the net and seizing the moment, rather than uh, having to try and get our way back into teams uh, back into games should the opposition take the lead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, if you if you get a clean sheet, you can only get a draw. You have to score goals to win games. So, yeah, you're right. It, it's an absolute key, key thing to work on. Um, and and we absolutely will. So, I, I, I don't know. I just, I think there was a lot of overreaction last night. I think I can understand why people are disappointed. I, myself, was bitterly disappointed that we didn't take that opportunity to get to League A. It would have done a lot of good things for us in the next four years. But we didn't do it. We didn't make it. But you look at the pots for World Cup qualifying. We just have to get ahead of of our pot two rival, and there's quite a few teams in there that we fancy have doing do that against. So, yeah, always numbers.
0: Let's have a quick look then at the the pots. We'll do a podcast when the draw is made and analyse um, where Scotland can go right and wrong in in the group. Now, the, the the big teams are all as you would expect. The the only teams in there that probably are slightly. Worse than their counterparts are Denmark and Croatia. Okay, so um, Holland and somehow Germany are actually at the lower end of, of pot one, points-wise. Denmark and Croatia are above them. Um, but I think that everyone can agree we'd rather have Croatia or Denmark than yep. uh, Germany and the Netherlands. Absolutely. So if you then move into to pot two, Wales have slithered their way right up to the top of that alongside Switzerland and Poland. Uh, some some really strong teams in Pot Two, but the, the 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 ones that stand out, the pair for me that stand out as preferable are Slovakia and Romania. Um, some of the teams that we probably don't want to draw are Turkey, uh, Ukraine, just manky away trips like that. You know where it just is uh, hard to envisage us picking up a result. Although you know we are better defensively now, and maybe we can catch them with the odd goal. Uh, Russia have slipped down into Pot Three. That is a a big blow for the teams in Pot 2, for sure. Um, well, this is it. I mean,
1: Russia Russia, and Norway in Pot 3 are teams that I would not want to see us play against, so us being in Pot 3 means we can't. So, <laughs>
0: Greece and Finland nipped into Pot 3, I think, late on uh, uh, yesterday. Bosnia, I'm sure, have gone down. and Yes, they've gone down yep, into Pot 4. four. So Bosnia and probably Slovenia are the stronger teams in Pot 4, but also, you've got some really... Really weak teams in Pot 4, Luxembourg are in there. Uh, If we draw Israel or Georgia. Bulgaria are not a good side. (laughs) Israel and Georgia are in there. Um, (laughs) North Macedonia, bad memories. Um, And then Pot 5 and Pot 6, it's really take your pick. Uh, Kazakhstan and Lithuania are both in Pot 5. They're familiar, Um, given recent draws. You've also got uh, the Pharaohs, Armenia, Latvia. Um, teams that we've not played uh, in a while or even I think, ever. I can't remember us playing Armenia.
2: Um, I think but I you think...
1: wouldn't want Kosovo in that, in, in, in Pot 5 because Kosovo are also such a new nation, they're still building their mm. rankings and they've actually had quite an impressive start to their time as a nation, so I certainly would want to avoid Kosovo out of that group.
0: Sure. Uh, pot, pot 2 is the interesting one because if you, if you end up with uh, Turkey or uh, Poland or Switzerland you know, we are I think starting very much as third favourites in the group. But if Romania or Slovakia come out, um, even even Wales, I know that they're high up in the pot listing points-wise, but I feel that Wales, they, they can't be, um, maybe I'm ignoring the evidence and the facts that are staring me in the face given their recent success, but they can't be too far out of our reach if, if we were to, to come up against Wales, guys.
2: Yeah, I, I think, for me, we've got unfinished business
1: against Wales, because obviously we went, um, when we had them in World Cup 2014 qualifying, you know, we went down to Cardiff, we took the lead, we should have been 2-0 ahead, but then it's Charlie Adams crossed from, from the left, on out that Stephen Fletcher nodded in, and it was nowhere near. Um, yeah, for me, I think we've absolutely got unfinished business against Wales, and I think as much as they've got some real standout players, your Aaron Ramsey's, your Gareth Bales, I think As soon as you chip back behind that starting 11, they don't have the depth behind them. So I think as a second seed, you could see them dropping points all over the place.
0: Ben, if you're looking at pot two here, I'll just list off the countries. Switzerland, Wales, Poland, Sweden, Austria, Ukraine, Serbia, Turkey, Slovakia, Romania. Is it the last two, Slovakia and Romania, that jump off as preferable for you?
2: Yeah, I would say so. I would say looking at Slovakia, I'd say we're we're pretty level actually. If, to be honest, I think if we play well, we're actually better than Slovakia. So I would say going into those campaigns, if you were to draw those two horse race for second. But I have to say there are some of the top teams now that with this system, this is this system is almost built for us to play bigger teams. Clark showed that with Kilmarnock, the results he got against the old firm against bigger teams. This system actually made for those games where they have to come and attack and then you break on them. So I'm honestly quietly confident going forward. Fingers crossed we can get a decent draw because we have been shafted with draws for, for years and years. So can we please, I would really love to avoid Israel, um, Georgia, like we've said. There's a few that are sort of old where there's the, the scars of those games that we've had against them. Let's let's get some, some, some new opponents and
1: let's qualify for the World Cup. Um, let's, let's, let's let's hopefully get some good away trips as well. Because hopefully, hopefully by the time these games—maybe obviously probably not the March games—but the games towards the back end of next year, let's hope fans are travelling in the Tartan Army can get get back on tour again. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. All right, then, guys. Well, we'll come together again in a few weeks when the draw is made and assess Scotland's chances. Okay. So for now, yes, we basked in the glory of qualification for the European Championship disappointing end to the international break but i like the positivity you guys are exhibiting i'm a bit more of a (laughs) a cynic or a skeptic i used to be an optimist i remember the the qualifying campaign where we had to go to spain and win and hope that lithuania beat uh i I was convinced (laughs) before kickoff that there was no way that we are we're not winning this Um, Things yep. things things are different now but you're so, uh,
1: you're so old and cynical Andy yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay well let's just hope by the time that the the World Cup qualifiers come around we've, we've figured out how to to score goals all right Yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah
2: yeah Sports Social Podcast Network